know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. What a lovely crowd. <laughs> Uh, Helen, how are you? I'm very well. I actually uh, am considering going to follow my favorite band, The Cure, throughout Europe for the summer. Oh, how exciting. Yes, I should note this is our, our last taping of this season. We're going to take the summer off. And I was going to ask you if you had any plans. Do uh, you guys know The Cure? I've heard of them, yes. Their big hit, of course, was... Uh, Just Like Heaven is my favorite song. Okay. And then uh, Boys Don't Cry... And yeah, oh, you yeah, like that one? Yeah, we got some fans. We got yeah. some fans. And, and have you seen them in concert before? I have seen them in concert, and they're one of those bands. Like they're actually quite old now. Um, I was a, I was kind of a little when I discovered them, but they're like, I think they've been around for like thirty or forty years. Mm. They're one of those bands that like they still sound good, even though they're probably now ninety. I see. And and uh, where would you anticipate seeing them on their world tour? Well, they're doing a world tour. They're playing a castle in Ireland. Oh, you have to go. And yeah. I'm like, A, I've never been to Ireland. B, castle, what's up? And C, <laughs> my favorite band, The Cure. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, if I anybody was... wants to come to see them in, in, in at a castle in Ireland, come find right. me. And for our listeners, uh, when this tour's already passed, uh, how was it? It was amazing. Oh, my God. It's so great that you win. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is a comedian, writer, and producer who's worked on The Daily Show and Late Show with David Letterman and can be seen on her special Soft Focus on Adult Swim. It's Jenna Friedman. Jenna Friedman. Hi, Jenna. Hello, Jenna. Jenna Coyley, smiling to the audience, putting Jenna, down her beard. Jenna has like a, a, like a sassy-looking beard, and she's got a sassy outfit. Jenna, like are it. you sassy? <sighs> um, <laughs> if you... Uh, all right. Can't argue with that. that was you know, the first thing I think of when I think of sassy is someone sighing. Sighing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Jenna, it's wonderful to have you. I enjoy your work very much. Thank you. And it's wonderful to meet you. Uh, now, on The Daily Show, you worked as a field producer. Mm -hmm. uh, who were some of the people that you got to produce stories with uh, who, were, who were the on-camera talent? Samantha B. Sure. Asif Manvi, Jessica Williams, Jordan Klepper. A lot of uh, awesome people. Yeah. Yeah. What was the weirdest yeah. situation you got yourself in doing that? Well, there was one instance where I was just filming... Um, exterior of a Planned Parenthood for this joke about <laughs> how to, uh, Republicans are suppressing Democratic votes and we need to level the playing field. So we were like, we'll just put voting booths in Planned Parenthood. So we just like went up to a Planned Parenthood in Asheville, North Carolina. And Asif was like putting a vote here sign up. And these women kind of were peeking through the blinds. So I went in and I was like, hi, we're with The Daily Show. Like, we're just gonna grab a shot. And they were like, we're fans. We, we just want you to know that someone threw a suspicious package on our steps and it might be a bomb. And the crew was already set up and like it would have taken like two seconds to get the shot. So I was like, roll tape. And then, <laughs> wow. Um, That's commitment. 
it, we got the shot, and um, no one got shot <laughs> that time. And so everything worked out. Wait, your camera operator was told that this package might be a bomb, and he just... No, I was told. Nobody else was told. Oh, as the <laughs> director... You didn't even share that information? Because we were already set up. It, if the bomb was going to go off, if it was a bomb, it would have happened so quickly, it wouldn't have mattered. So I was just like, roll, and then I was like, let's get out of here. We were lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would think so. Uh, now, has that experience uh, influenced uh, your show that you have on Adult Swim, Soft Focus? Your experience yes, on The Daily Show? I, I think uh, having the experience of being a field producer has made uh, producing my own stuff a lot easier. I would think so, yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, what was it like for you to go on camera from being behind the scenes? It was seamless. You know, <laughs> it just... As somebody who can transition seamlessly from different roles... You know, I'm like a multi-hyphenate. In other words, what you're saying is that you're great. <laughs> I don't say anything. I just plant ideas in people's heads, and if they're <laughs> smart enough, they can infer things. Oh, okay, like Inception. Good. Sure. You're like a, you're like a, a greatness Inception. <laughs> so you're a performer for years, so you, it's not like you like didn't, never performed before. Well, on Soft Focus and on uh, when you were doing these daily show pieces, it's always amazing to me because you're doing hard-hitting, uh, in a way, hard-hitting journalism on, on very serious topics in a funny very way. Very hard, these very people And these people, well, these people should, I would assume that people know what they're getting into if you show up. They, they still agree to do these interviews. Mm -hmm. Does that ever surprise you? No. Nope. Why not? Because, well, at The Daily Show, we were around for like 15 years by the time we would get people on, and they knew it was a daily show, but I think people just want to be heard, and they want something to say, and it was like a more naive time. It was like pre-Trump, so I don't know. Um, but then with self-focus, like, I don't look funny, and I, because of that, I've been able to, like, you know, disarm people with mm -hmm. my female ways. Yes, the sassiness <laughs> aforementioned. <laughs> my charisma on, <laughs> on podcasts, like my just palpable charisma. <laughs> it, it's winning me over. Uh, you did another project that got you into a little bit of trouble with the New York Times. Tell us about that. They don't like people stealing their trademark, <laughs> which makes sense. Sure. You know? uh, yeah, no, we just did a, a satire on their wedding videos and they got upset and sued. They threatened to sue me, but what? they had... They were in the right. I, we just took their trademark and pretended it was like a wedding video, and we put it online. The term now would be like an Easter egg, but back then, when the internet was more of like the Wild West. Mm -hmm. So we made a fake wedding video about a couple who is like getting married in the New York Times. It's putting a spotlight on their on their proposal, and he's a serial killer. And I <laughs> thought it was very <laughs> obvious, but people thought it was real until what? we said it was a parody. No. Yeah, Ben Kronberg. He played the serial killer effortlessly. And what was it like to get that? Uh, <laughs> that took me a second. What was it like to get that cease and desist letter? And and did you respond? Thrilling. To it? Wait, so you had to take it down? No, we just had to write that it was a parody, and then it, it lost its virality. When people, oh, didn't, man. When people knew it might not be real. So that wasn't that wasn't. It's still online, movie. you guys. Nothing I want to see, see Ben Kronberg effortlessly. You should have oh. as a as a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, you're about to go on tour. Uh, tell us about that. So I'm doing a show called Miscarriage of Justice in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I have some dates. I have a show in Chicago. You guys will have missed it if you're listening on this podcast. How did it go, though? Well, there were too many people showed up. Oh, and wow. And then there were actually, there was a little bit of a stampede. Nobody mm. died, but yeah. one person <laughs> fell and broke his arm. But he had health insurance. So oh, wow. Oh. Because it was See? in Edinburgh, probably. Happy ending. No, yes. this is a Chicago oh, show. Oh, the Chicago show. He had insurance. Edinburgh Probably. went amazingly yeah. well. <laughs> I think this will go very well as well, and we're happy to have Miss Jenna Friedman. 
Helen, against whom will Jenna be competing tonight? He is the co-founder of Cracked.com and co-creator and co-host of the podcast, The Daily Zeitgeist. It's Jack O'Brien. Jack O'Brien. Jack O'Brien. Hi, Jack. Have a seat right there. Hey, everyone. Hello, Jack. Jack, I was recently on a show called The Daily Zeitgeist that you co-hosted. Yes. That was really fun. And, and uh, Helen has been on as well. As Super well. fun. Yeah. Uh, for those, and has Jenna been on? Jenna has also Ooh. been on. Wow. Well, it's, we're all alums. You've all been wonderful. Oh, you've thank you so much. Amazing. Who was your favorite of the three of us? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Jake um, Keith, always got to make it a competition. No. Now, Jack, <laughs> uh, uh, tell us about uh, your, the, the co-host that you have and why you wanted to start doing The Daily Zeitgeist. My co-host is a guy named Mike. Miles Gray, uh, who I knew for a couple years before we started uh, hosting the show together, and he's just a very cool person, and uh, I wanted to be friends with him, so I was like, let's start a podcast. Uh, That's very similar to how <laughs> Helen and I know each yeah. other. Um, no, and uh, yeah, I found myself after uh, the 2016 election being really, uh, you know, wanting a podcast that was covering the news on a daily basis mm -hmm. so I could, you know, extra torture myself. So I decided to make it. Well, one of the things I really like about the show is that you take on the, the, the current events of the day. Sometimes you even change topics right up until recording time. Uh, and you do, do. do serious political stuff, and then you also do some fun pop culture stuff as well. We do. Yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. one of the things as a guest is you ask the guest to prepare uh, answers to a few questions. You ask, right. uh, tell us about what those overrated. questions are and what, what the thinking is behind asking the guest to uh, have that ready. Yeah, we uh, ask for people's search history because we want to know like what kind of weird, perverse things they've been uh, looking for on the internet. Um, oh, I remember this. Yeah. Because mine was um, bee pollen throat spray. Yeah. <laughs> and like I literally got sick. so many sick. tweets asking me about this. It was actually B propolis. I still don't know how to say this properly. Is it propolis or pro propolis? Anyone? No one knows. No one knows. Okay. It's this <laughs> stuff that comes out of bee butts. Right. And you can spray it in your throat and That's it how I would have googled it. Yeah. yeah. Stuff that comes out of bee butts. <laughs> um yeah, and then we ask for an overrated thing, an underrated thing, and a myth. What, uh, what's a myth that you would, like, what's a myth that oh, you are no. interested in? Putting me on the spot. Tables are turned. I know. Uh, or or what's, what's something that you think is overrated or underrated? Um, Game of Thrones, overrated. Am I right, guys? Whoa. Oh, my am God, right? I'm about to flip Everyone? this table and leave. <laughs> I'm actually here tonight while our entire production staff back at uh, the Daily Zeitgeist Recording Studios uh, are having a Game of Thrones party without me. So, uh, But I, I'm okay with that after last week's episode because it was garbage. <laughs> you were not a fan of that, yeah, the yeah. penultimate episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm well, happy to be here with well, one you of the guys. things I've, uh, One of the reasons I enjoy coming on Daily Zeitgeist is that uh, of all the... I've been on many different podcasts and whatnot, and uh, I always get more responses the next day after it runs on your show than any other show that I'm on. You've got a very engaged uh, audience. It's yeah. true. It's true. Are there any Daily Zeitgeist listeners yes. out there? Yeah, there all you right. go. All right. What's up, guys? Yeah. Yeah, it's generally fairly uh, friendly, but, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, ha we have nice listeners. You do. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, Cracked.com. When I was growing up, I remember Cracked as a Mad Magazine-type yeah. satire thing, and then uh, it blew up on the Internet because of you. Yeah, I was hired to launch the website for Cracked Magazine, um, and uh, I was not 
I was not a fan of Cracked Magazine growing up, um, so I just kind of started a humor website that I would want to read, mm -hmm. and it was somewhat different. Um, few, fewer uh, like booger jokes and stuff like that, <laughs> uh, and more. We ended up doing more like res heavily researched comedy, nonfiction stuff, and uh, we put together a really good like video team. And, and you ended up getting millions videos. and millions of, of, of page views on it. What was the turning point for uh, for Crack.com? Um, it was a lot. It, there used to be this uh, website uh, hundreds of years ago called Dig. That was uh, Reddit before Reddit, and we ca we were very popular there. So that kind of started, we, we started getting a lot of readers through there. Wait, so you just took the name of this like well-known comedy brand yeah. and you did something totally different with it. Yeah. See, it's like, people it's like, were not happy at first. It's <laughs> like, if, like if people were like, you know what, I'm going to do the Game of Thrones website and make it about puppies. Yes, I would say Cracked the magazine was very comparable to Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Almost identical. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I just, it was my chance to make something that I was excited about. And so I did that instead of being true to the voice of the original Cracked, which a lot of people weren't happy with in the early days. Well, they've got to be very happy with how it, uh, how it turned out. Yeah. Well, we're certainly happy to have you. Jack O'Brien, ladies and hey, gentlemen. Thanks, everyone. All right, Jack and Jenna, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Jenna, you said you know a lot about the TV show Ghostwriter the history of improv, and this tracks the Ebola disease. Virus. <laughs> Virus, excuse me. Jack, you said you know a lot about the movie Jaws 2, uh -huh. the movie Rocky IV, uh -huh. and Wu-Tang Clan solo albums from 1993 to yeah. 1997. Very highbrow, uh, yeah. Yes. I have a scientific background, as you can tell. Right, and so. would that be Wu-Tang Clan or Wu-Tang Virus? Uh, the Wu-Tang <laughs> Clan. Clan. Yes, All right. yes, you got it correct. Terrific. Well, yeah. later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, emergency. First up in emergency, Jenna. Now, Jenna, your question comes from a listener, Jessica Lewis of Milwaukee, Oregon. That's right, Milwaukee, Oregon. Jenna, they both make you pull over to the side of the road in an emergency, but what is the difference between a fire engine and a fire truck? A fire engine and a fire truck. Fire engine probably has more things on it to put out a fire. Am I wrong? Or the fire engine makes noise to alert people? Well, I can't tell you yet if you're right or wrong. We want to get your, uh, your, your distinctions there. So you think a fire engine has more stuff and has a siren? Maybe the truck has all the stuff on it, and the engine's just like the, hey, you guys, there's a fire. Maybe that's what's happening. Okay, so let's clarify. So an engine is, hey, guys, <laughs> there's a fire, <laughs> and a truck? Has the stuff on it. What kind of stuff, uh, specifically? Hose. Hose. Ladder. Okay. Well, we certainly have Jenna's answer. Uh, we don't know yet if she is correct. Jack, uh, what do you think? I think that's right. I think... Uh, really? Yeah. I, th I think uh, the fire engine is the one that has the less stuff on it, but because uh, that is not a, a useful answer, I'll say it's the opposite, and that the fire engine has uh, all the stuff on it, and the fire truck has uh, has one of those like things up top where they can see from a distance or whatever. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Not, not terribly. Okay. Like a, like a, like a, like Let's a widow's walk? the original you, one. Okay, the opposite no. of what she said. The opposite of what she said. Yeah. All right. Well, this segment has gone up in smoke. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. A fire engine is a vehicle with water pumps, hoses, and tanks. It might carry <sighs> some tools and ladders that firefighters can detach and carry to the fire, but its main purpose is to put water on the fire. I knew it. A fire truck is designed mainly to carry tools to a fire and to bring firefighters up to the fire with hydraulic ladders that are attached to the truck. It does not usually have water pumps, hoses, and tanks. Uh, That's right. Now, some fire trucks do carry ladders that unfold to reach 300 feet in the air. They can also be so long that they require a second firefighter to steer the back end of the truck. That person is called the tillerman and, according to Cat Stevens, might enjoy some tea. Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to say both of you got that wrong. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. No points there. No. Up next in emergency, Jack. Jack, your question doesn't come from a listener. It comes from two listeners. Patrick Page of Charlotte, North Carolina, and Michelle Baker from Austin, Texas, both asked this. Jack, they both are emergency health events, but what is the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic? A pandemic and an epidemic. Damn, this sounds like it's right in your wheelhouse since you are a... um Ebola virus expert. Pandemic is wider and spans different countries, whereas an epidemic can be just a, a local epidemic or, you know, within a single city. All right. We've got Jack's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Jenna, what do you think? Yeah, a pandemic is more widespread. Okay. So you're just going to agree with what, what Jack said. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, it's time to contain and eradicate this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. An epidemic is an outbreak of a disease that affects many people at the same time and can spread through many communities and regions, but is contained within those regions. A pandemic, according to the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control, is when an epidemic spreads throughout the entire world. All right. Now, that is correct. And of course, Endemic is a disease that permanently exists in a region or population, like malaria is in regions of Africa. By the way, if you want to help prevent the spread of malaria, you can text GIVE to 5582 to the number 6232-GIVING, and you'll donate $10 to Global Giving's campaign for mosquito nets for malaria prevention in Africa. Please do that, and please, Helen, tell us what does that mean as far as our points go. I'm going to give Jack two points on that one. I think so as well. Congratulations, Jack. You got two points on that. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of the round, Jenna Friedman has zero points and Jack O'Brien has two points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Macho man to the top rope. The flying elbow, the cover. We've got a new champion. We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power. Too sweet to be sour. Funky like a monkey. Woke discussions, man. And jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices. Myself excluded. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Thursdays on Maximum Fun. Oh, yeah. Dig it. 
Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Jenna Friedman with zero points and Jack O'Brien with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Jenna, you have a chance to put some points on the board of your many interests. You told us you know a lot about the TV show Ghost Rider, the history of improv, and the Ebola virus. Uh, tell us a little bit about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about the TV show Ghost Rider. I literally have never heard of it. Yeah, it, so for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about what Ghost Rider is. It was a PBS show, um, live action in the 90s. Uh, it was a children's television workshop, which is now like the Sesame Workshop. Uh, it was a cool show about a ghost who uh, helped kids in Fort Greene solve crimes. <laughs> Very good. And it was like it was live action. Live action. So how did they do the ghost? That's a good question. He uh, responded to uh, text, and um, oh, so you never saw the ghost. You never saw him. Oh, gender non-specific ghost didn't see gender or age, so the ghost was pretty. Progressive. Ooh. <laughs> a woke ghost. Yeah. I think that is what I thought a ghostwriter was when I first heard the term ghostwriter when I was like six. It was like a ghost who wrote things and that's how they communicated. So maybe, yeah. The show was canceled after three seasons despite critical acclaim and wide success and it was because they didn't have money. So if only Aww. he had been called Grant Writer. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. You also said you know a lot about the history of improv. Yes. Did you do improv? I did improv, yeah. and oh, I got into comedy by studying improv. And so, uh, well, a lot of people do improv, but not a lot of people know about the history. Tell us about why you know that, and uh, what do you like about improv uh, history? Well, I just had studied it for a paper that I wrote, so I know a little bit about the history and the origins, kind of starting from, like, the WPA. Uh, it just started as, like, children's games during the Depression, and then it evolved into this, like, form of comedy. Terrific. Uh, what was that paper for? College. Okay. Uh, and then finally... <laughs> And finally, you said you know a lot about the Ebola virus. I mean, I know enough to hopefully not get it. <laughs> what, is it just a, a weird fascination, like a fascination? Uh, I saw Outbreak when I was in sixth grade, and then <laughs> I just followed it. It's like kind of like the Super Bowl of uh, pathogens, if you will. And so, um, yeah, I've been following it. Um, it's still happening. Uh, right now there's an outbreak in um, the DRC, and uh, it's super scary. Uh, they're working on a vaccine that's promising, but they don't really have one yet. And the biggest takeaway is, like, if you go to a funeral where people are, like, bathing in the, like, water coming off the body, like, don't do it. <laughs> Wait, what? what? Where are those yeah. funerals? A lot are in, uh, you know, West Africa. They, wait, that, that's a ritual that they have there? Yeah. Interesting. And it spreads Ebola. So. Well, I'm really glad you told it because I was that. so ready to take a funeral bath <laughs> until right. you mentioned that. Nice. Uh, all right. So to summarize, Jenna, you said you know a lot about the TV show Ghost Rider, the history of improv, and the Ebola virus. Today we want to quiz you about the history of improv. All right. And it was a, it Definitely was a, safer, but go ahead. It's a little safer, yeah. There's I'm some not going to lie. I was kind of rooting for Ebola because I don't know enough about it to not get it. <laughs> And I wanted to learn. Why don't you learn. give us a quick tip? What can, we, what can people listening I mean, do to avoid like, getting Ebola? Don't, like, get in other people's bodily fluids if they're, like, bleeding out of their eyes. <laughs> Good tip. Good tip. This, is, this, is, this should be, like, rules on Tinder. <laughs> now, uh, what kind of improv do you prefer either to, to watch or to perform? There's a long form, there's short form, there's different formats. What do you like? Long form. You like long form. All right. And do you still go to see improv? Never. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, I love improv. It's a punchline. It wasn't when I started doing it. I mm -hmm. think it's like a really cool form of like unlearning. When I stumbled upon it, it was like 2004. Uh, Chicago style improv is very cool. They encourage you to play play at the height of your intelligence. And it's, it's like you learn these rules to like um, make scenes with other people. But a lot of the rules are just like how to be a better person, listening mm. to people, agreeing with them, agreeing to their reality and mm. building on that. And I like the creative potential of being just on stage or your own writer, actor, director at the same time, creating something out of nothing. And it felt very cool. And so that's why I like, that's why I fell in love with that form. I do agree. When I was studying improv, I felt like a lot of the rules of improv are actually good rules for life in general because you yes and other people. It just makes you more open to other people's ideas and not so like rigid in your way of thinking or, or living. Mm -hmm. Not that I. <laughs> and then I quit improv to do stand up. And I now, mean, it doesn't now pay. I'm a horrible a whole... person. No, you're not. I mean, part of the, the, the reason I got into it and studied it is because there's like, it's a very interesting way to like view um, a solid affirmative action agenda in our political economy. And I think Ooh. like improv doesn't really pay the bills. And it's this very like um, privileged art form for people who just have like the resources to like take classes and stuff. And so that's kind of what my angle was when I was studying it. Mm. And then Sharna like read the paper and like cut me from my team. <laughs> and that's how I got into stand up. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, this will be this will bring back some pleasant memories then, I'm sure. Uh, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the history of improv to test your mastery in the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. Before that, to let you show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Jack, do listen closely, because if Jenna answers incorrectly, you can seal. Jack, by the way, how much do you know about the history of improv? Very, very little. All right. I was fascinated by the thing you said about it starting as children's games during the Depression. So I'm looking forward to learning more from your brain. Well, that is a lovely attitude to have. And here's your first question, Jennifer Friedman, about the history of improv. Bill Murray, George Wendt, Shelley Long, Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, and Tina Fey are just some of the alumni of what legendary improv theater based in Chicago? Improv Olympic. Helen? Or Second City, sorry. Oops, Second so City. What is your answer? Second City. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> it is the Second City. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. One point for Jenna. Question number two, he was an acclaimed writer, director, producer, and actor. She is an acclaimed writer, director, producer, and actor. Together, they're probably the greatest improv duo of all time, whose comedy records made the pop music charts and won them a Grammy. Who are they? Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Nichols and May. Uh, fun fact, she wrote the screenplays to the movies The Birdcage and Primary Colors, which he directed. <gasps> I just rewatched The Birdcage, and it's May. so funny. Ishtar. Yeah, she also directed <laughs> Ishtar. They can't all be winners, although I hear that's a very, uh, I hear that's a very underrated movie. Yeah, I've heard that it's underrated and that it should be given another chance. Well, and I have never given it that. Maybe it's time, Jack. Yeah, maybe it is. All right, you're two for two, Jenny. Here's question number three. The UCB Theater has what it claims to be the world's longest-running improv show, which features a guest monologist who inspires improv scenes. What is the name of this show? Cat. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It's been running for, uh, I think they said 17 or 18 no, years now. I feel now. like such a nerd. Why? <laughs> no, we're here to celebrate, no we're here to celebrate knowledge. But believe me, you're in the right place. Yeah, we're absolutely. A room full of nerds. Absolutely. All right, you're three for three. Question number four. Who was referred to as the mother of improvisational theater due in no small part to her wildly popular 1963 book, Improvisation for the Theater? Viola Spolin? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Damn. Wow. 
Four for Four. Uh, did you read that book, Jenna? Yes, I did. Okay, very good. <laughs> you have a chance to go five for five with this question. Jenna, before Whose Line Is It Anyway premiered in the U.S., many people's first time seeing improv on television was in a syndicated game show that featured teams of two improvisers performing games and earning points. What was the name of this show? Was it an American show or a British show? It was an American show. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Yeah, I'll take a hint. Helen, how about that hint? It's two words, and the first word is a homophone for Nestle's brand of chocolate milk powder. Ha, I don't know. Chocolate milk powder. What is Nestle's famous chocolate milk powder? Quick. Okay, so what might the show be called? So it was like a show called Quick Something. About, it was like a short-form improv show in mm -hmm. the 70s. We didn't say it was the 70s. I know it was in the 70s. Okay, well, if you know it was in the 70s, the you 60s. might know what it was called. What's the title of that show? <laughs> What's the other word? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the hints only covered the first word. Well, I don't know. Quick joke or quick laugh? I don't. I don't know. Helen, is it one of those? No, that is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry, Jack, for the chance to steal. Uh, quick. Uh, quick. La no, you you said quick. La uh, quick react. Was it quick Never. react, Helen? No it was not. No, quick two react. very reasonable guesses. It was Those called are terrible titles. Quick wits. Quick, quick wits. wits. And you'll and love what, this. What year was it? It was. In, I believe it was in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s. Really? Yeah. Uh, fun fact: Quick was spelled K W I K. Of course it was. And wits was. <laughs> no one watched that show. <laughs> w I T Z. I watched it. Uh, some of the performers Sorry. on some of the performers on Quick Wits included Wayne Brady and Steve Carell. All right, you struggled on that one. You oh, still did wow. very well in that round. And now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll bring on an expert to assess your response. One of the most famous and accomplished improv theaters is here in Los Angeles, the Groundlings. For up to three points, who led the workshops that started the Groundlings? For what legendary San Francisco improv troupe had this person been the stage manager? And what comedy legend gave the Groundlings their first big break by hiring several company members for her 1975 TV special? 75? Mm -hmm. I don't think it, was it Gilda Radner? I can't tell you yet. You need to give me a definitive answer, and then we'll tell you very soon. All right. I'm just going to say Gilda. You're going to say Gilda Radner, okay? Over uh, Carol Burnett. Yeah, I'll say Gilda Radner. Okay, you're saying Gilda Radner. So we're done with that part of the question. Now, the other two parts were who was I'm the uh, person? Hmm? What's the other part? The other part was who led the workshops that started the Groundlings? I'll say Del Close, but it wasn't him. I All right, don't you'll know. say Del Close. All right, and it then wasn't we, him. I understand. <laughs> That's still what you're saying. And then we wanted to know for what legendary San Francisco improv troupe had this person been the stage manager? Um, yeah, no, I'm not going to make up a San Francisco improv troupe name. That won't, that won't feel good. All right. <laughs> Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight are two actors, teachers, and original company members of the Groundlings, Phyllis Katz and Tracy Newman. Phyllis Katz and Tracy Newman. I'm sorry Hello, I don't Phyllis. know Have enough about right the history of your theater. Uh, hello, uh, Phyllis, bring that microphone right up to you and uh, say hello to, let's say hello. Hello. And hello, Tracy. Hello. Excellent. It's wonderful to have you. Now, Phyllis, and, and uh, you and I have a bit of a history. I believe you have yep. known me since high school. Uh, I've known uh, Jay Keith since he was in high school. Because you were an early uh, improv teacher for me. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And uh, Tracy, you and I also have known each other for a long time. And yes, through Cynthia. Yes, that's right. Well, Segetti. We should, yes, well, let's uh, tell the people who Cynthia Segetti was. Cynthia Segetti was, uh, actually was in the Groundlings originally and then broke off to teach on her own. She was teaching in the Groundlings and 
was there a misunderstanding or something, a kind of problem? Whatever it was, she went off on her own to teach. And then, I don't know, I met you through her, though, yes. at, at, the, at Cantor's. That's right. Well, Cynthia was a, was a great uh, improv teacher to many people in the Los Angeles improv community. She also taught Lisa Kudrow and Conan O'Brien yes, and right. was probably my biggest uh, improv influence. And uh, when she got sick toward the end of her life, she would have a weekly lunch at Cantor's where we I got to know Tracy yeah, and you, you, see many She people. used to have people come in. As you walked into Cantor's, she'd start yelling your credits. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, literally all the time that it took for you to walk from the, from the door oh my to this table in the back, she'd be saying, and here she is. And, and just, you know, these people who didn't know you, all the other people there had listened to your credits. Oh, my God, I'm going to pay somebody to do that. <laughs> I love it. Everywhere I go, I'm going to hire somebody to just yell my credits until I get to the, where I'm sitting down. I'm going to be like, stop. No, go on. No, you <laughs> forgot the one about, okay. Yes. Uh, so what was it like to be the first Groundlings? Uh, you know, young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and exciting. We were experimenting yeah, all incredible. the time. Uh-huh. We didn't have a school then. We didn't have uh, uh, a lot of people. Uh, nobody knew who we were. We no, were I mean, it was every a... night paying to be there and keep yeah. the place open and, uh, and writing and improvising and improvising I mean, it started with it one class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a class that we decided to name ourselves after a while. That's all. And, and were you part of the naming of uh, this oh, yeah. as the Groundlings? Yeah, Not I me. voted for um, uh, the working class. I mean, that's clever, right? Yes. I mean, it has a political thing, but also it's like we were a class and we were working, we were earning money mm-hmm. performing. I'd have voted but, for that over the Groundlings. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, my sister Lorraine, afterwards. you know, my sister's Lorraine Yes, I should, I should mention your sister is Lorraine Newman, who's been a guest and an expert on this show and was and, an, also uh, an original Groundlings member. Yeah, and my right, brother so is Alan Katz, who had nothing to do with the Groundlings. <laughs> okay, well, my brother is <laughs> Stu Katz. Hi, Alan. My sister is yeah. Laura Van Stratton. Yeah. Anyone else want to mention their siblings? Shannon <laughs> O'Brien. Okay. Big fan. Great. Wait, what? What does the ground legs refer to? It's the rabble that are watching uh, the shows, the Shakespearean plays, and they're sitting on the ground in the front, and they're the ones who threw the tomatoes and stuff like that. Oh. And they're kind of uneducated. You and know, didn't have t- money for tickets. Oh. Yeah. And you were the first. Uh, two were the first teachers at the ground legs as well. Who who knew about improv class to take a class back then? How did you find students? <laughs> Uh, the people, I don't know, they just well, came. I, you, had, you did shows, and people saw the yeah. shows uh, and wanted to join. But I mean, before join. that, at the Cellar Theater, I saw an ad on a billboard saying that there was somebody teaching a class. Uh, and I'd seen improv in New York, and I thought, oh, I'd like to learn that. You know. But it's not like back then, it wasn't like a cultural institution that everyone knows oh, about, no, like no. now. No, I, I had started in, in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. I started classes at Second City. And uh, five of us, four of my friends and I, moved out here. And one of my friends went to see a Groundlings show. They were new mm-hmm. and said, I just saw this great show. You have to go see it. And I went to see it. It was mostly sketch, but uh, there was some improv. And I saw all these women on stage not playing just the girlfriend <laughs> or the wife. And mm-hmm. I said, <sighs> I want to be here. Amen. Well, that so, is something that, that I think the Groundlings is, is known for, is that they've always had very strong uh, female characters, and, and uh, women there uh, could excel as, as well, if not better, than some of the other men. Was that something that was part of the design and the DNA from the get-go? No. No? Okay, well. <laughs> nope. No plan. No, just a lot of strong women gravitated towards it. Also, improv in general was very female-friendly, because it, you weren't 
performing male scripts. You could mm. be your own writer, director, right. performer at the same time. And it, and before, I mean, like only recently have women been able to make things uh, to the level that we can. So before that, improv felt very female friendly. Oh, I love that. That's terrific. That's now, Phyllis, uh, you still teach. In fact, uh, you mm -hmm. uh, you teach. Your specialty is musical improv, song improv, and right. you actually teach a, a very interesting uh, group of students on a recurring basis. Tell us about that. Uh, you mean the opera? Yes. Yes. I got this great recurring gig about 10 years ago. I work with the um, uh, young adult company at the Los Angeles Opera. They wanted to put a program together where they could learn another way to be on stage and another way to approach the work because what they have to do is very specific and rigid. And I didn't know before I taught them that uh, you can't riff at all when you're singing opera. <laughs> you sing the, the note, the way it was written, and the rhythm it was you're written. You're kidding! <laughs> exactly my point. And, yeah. and so uh, I started working with, with them, and we were doing regular improv games. I, I put a program together for them as it relates to their work, and then uh, I started to introduce music into that work with their arias and play around with it, and found out they that many of them took to it really well. So we do occasional shows. Wait, so the they're just riffing an entire improv, uh, an improv, an entire opera? Not only that, they do other styles. I bring in musical improvisers <gasps> from the improv community, and then when they, uh, when they do shows, they'll sing different styles, but then they'll also improvise uh, opera highlights. <gasps> That's really It's incredible. quite a thing to see the people singing full out like that, using their full voice, a total commitment when they don't know what they're going to say. Wow. Mm. It sounds very sister act, like you're the fun person <laughs> who comes in and like teaches the stuffy people right. how to... <laughs> how to let loose and have a little fun. Tracy, of course, uh, you also have been a very successful TV writer. You won an Emmy and a Peabody for a particular episode of Ellen. Uh, which episode of Ellen was it? It was her coming out episode. How about no that? No way! How did you get tasked with being the writer on that episode? Oh, that's such a long story. Okay. You know, I'm not going to go into that, but I, w I was on the show, uh, her sitcom, for four seasons, and by the time we were going to do that, maybe my partner and I actually were the only people that had been there from the beginning. So maybe that's why. I, I don't know. There were a lot of uh, people. I conjecture, but I, I don't yeah. really know. Well, that's pretty, it's kind of feel very special to have written an yeah, episode that was, was so special and so revered in television history. It is. It's a remarkable feeling. I remember thinking, boy, if I don't do anything else in show business, I've just done it, sort of, you know? Yeah, and, but you've done other things in show business since as well. Excellent, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, for both of you, uh, you uh, Phyllis, I understand that you still go back to the Groundlings and you direct. Uh, Tracy, are you still involved with the Groundlings at all? I'm not as a performer or a teacher, but I go to every opening, which is like the main company has an opening about every three months every, or four every months. Every four months. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's really worth seeing, you guys. It's really fun to go to those. Excellent. Uh, and Phyllis, you wanted to add? Yeah, um, I still perform there periodically and direct shows, and I have some shows coming up that will... Uh, I, I won't know the dates until tomorrow. All right. That's actually and and, and this, they still perform in the same theater that they built in 1979 or so, I believe. Yes. Actually, earlier. Earlier yeah. than that, yeah. but they're yeah. still there on Melrose Four. Avenue. It was 70, we built it in 74. We right. didn't really open officially till about 76. But before that, the Groundlings played at the Oxford Theater on Western. More of us I mean, than seats in the audience. Yeah, there were more people <laughs> in, in the, on stage than the audience. I almost know what that feels like. 
<laughs> All right, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jenna. First, we wanted to know who was the person who led the workshops that started the Groundlings. Helen, what did Jenna say? Jenna said Del Close. No, I was wrong. She thinks it's wrong, but was she wrong? Well, Del Close yes. is, a, as you know, <laughs> second, second city. city. Yeah. Yeah. And then Improv yeah. Olympics. Yeah. yeah, so who did start the Groundlings? Gary Austin. Gary Austin. All right, no point there. I'm sorry. Uh, next, we want to know what legendary San Francisco improv troupe did Gary Austin come from, where he'd been the stage manager. Helen, what did Jenna say? Jenna had no answer. And is that correct? No, it's the no. no, no, no. There actually is an answer. Okay. An answer might have been, but it's just. No, no. no. Who, what, where where, where yeah. was it? It was the committee. Yeah. The committee, the yeah. famous uh, San Francisco-based improv group. There. All right, no point there. And finally, wanted to know uh, what comedy legend gave the Groundlings their first big break by hiring several company members for her 1975 TV special. Helen, what was the answer that Jenna settled on? Jenna said Gilda Radner. And uh, Phyllis and Tracy. Lily Tomlin. Oh, so close. You're in the wheelhouse. I just. I guess I should have specified just Chicago. History of Chicago Improv. Nope, yeah, well. Because I don't be. know West Coast Improv. I know nothing. Right. Oh, when do you think the West Coast, East Coast, Chicago rivalry, you know, the gang <laughs> wars no are going to end? Yeah. Never. Never. No, lots of... Uh, what do you, what do you Zips remember? Zips have been zopped over that war. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Lily Tomlin actually was very influential in the history of the Groundlings. Tell us about that. Well, she brought Lauren Michaels to the Groundlings when we were at the Oxford Theater, and they saw Lorraine, and, they, and uh, he saw Lorraine and offered her Saturday Night Live. He actually offered the show to three or four people there, and they had such productive careers at the time in L.A., so they didn't see a reason to move to New York to do a show that was, you know that they were taking a big chance. That's but Lorraine amazing. had nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> so because Lorraine didn't have as many prospects in L.A., she was happy yeah, to take a flyer was... on going to New York for Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And other people could have joined her. Yeah. Wow, that's um, unbelievable. Uh, all right, uh, is there anything you would like to say or ask of our experts while we have them here? It's cool that you guys are here. I, I didn't know about the history of, you know, the Groundlings, and it's nice that you guys came and talked to us. I just wanted to mention that uh, when Viola Spolin, who I did not know, when she died, there was um, the Spolin Players mm -hmm. had a theater on Heliotrope, and they had a memorial service for her. Were you there? No. Cynthia and I were there. And they, they talked about everything that she spawned. You know? And they said, if you've ever been in this group, please stand up. And they kept calling up names of groups and companies. And people were standing multiple times because all of us had been in two groups, three groups, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it was this huge room full of people. And now it's exponential. You have UCB yeah. and you have uh, Impro Improv Olympic actually came after that, too. So um, just wanted to mention that. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy that you did. Yeah. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Tracy? Uh, well, I'm TracyNewman.com or RunAlongHome.com. And Phyllis? Um, <laughs> website to come. You can contact <laughs> me through the Groundlings. I, I am on Facebook. Uh, I'm a little slow to the party. Okay. Well, you're certainly fast. Uh, in far as, you certainly have quick wits, and we're happy that you joined us. Thank it's wonderful you. to see you both again, my friends. Never heard of quick Phyllis wit. Katz and Tracy Newman. Phyllis Katz and Tracy Newman. Thank you so much. Helen, what is our score as we end that round? At the end of that round, Jenna Friedman has four points and Jack O'Brien has two points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Jack about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Jenna and Jack will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. There's nothing quite like sailing in the calm international waters on my ship, the SS Biopic. Avast! It's actually pronounced biopic. 
no, you dingus! It's biopic! Who the hell says that? It's biopic! Because it's the, the word words biology. for biography and picture. If you... All right, that is enough. Ahoy, I'm Dave Holmes. I'm the host of the newly rebooted podcast, formerly known as International Waters, designed to resolve petty but persistent arguments like this. How? by pitting two teams of opinionated comedians against each other with trivia and improv games, of course. Winner takes home the right to be right. What podcast be this? It's called Troubled Waters, where we disagree to disagree! Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Jenna Friedman with four points and Jack O'Brien with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Strat. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Jack, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie Jaws 2, the movie Rocky 4, and Wu-Tang Clan solo albums from 1993 to 1997. Let's talk, yes. about, let's talk about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about the movie Jaws 2. Yeah, Jaws was kind of my thing. I was, uh, for probably the first six, seven years of my life, I was like the shark kid who like <laughs> always drew sharks and... Like, my relatives knew me as the kid who was really into sharks. Uh, I can still draw sharks. It's the only thing I can draw because oh, I, I, I drew so many pen. sharks. Um, but, yeah, Jaws was my favorite movie, and I had seen it, like, hundreds of times. And Jaws 2, uh, you know, hits all of the same sweet spots that Jaws 1 hits for a five-, six-year-old kid. <laughs> Wait, how old were you when you saw the first one? Uh, like, four or what? so, and I'd seen, really it, scary. I'd seen it a hundred times by the time I was like eight. And like your parents was, just let you watch it at that young yeah, age? Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> I don't know. And I, I didn't, I wasn't scared of sharks. I wanted to be eaten by one. No. Was what I told everybody. Um, but yeah, I was obsessed with sharks, and the shark in Jaws 2 is actually bigger than the shark in Jaws 1, uh, and uh, it explodes a... Uh, a, a speedboat at one point, uh, which is pretty cool. That doesn't happen in Jaws 1. So, uh, <laughs> so obviously kind of Jaws 2 better. is better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. Yeah. Uh, you also said you know a lot about the movie Rocky 4. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the first movie I ever saw in theaters uh, was Rocky 4. I went with my dad. Uh, I still remember. It was Wheeling, downtown Wheeling, West Virginia, a uh, hot spot. Uh, and... We, yeah, it, was, it just had a huge impact on me at the time because it was cool and violent and basically one long music video. Like, a, <laughs> there's so many montages, it's amazing. Uh, and then, you know, as I got older, I found that I was able to write papers on it because it's also like a, a really uh, very obvious piece of propaganda, like mm -hmm. during the Cold War, and very reflective of. Um, you know where where we were at that point in time, and it was also written written and directed by Sylvester Stallone, and he had written uh, Rambo Two that same year, <laughs> and they were both just like very uh, clear. In Rocky Four, uh, Rocky wins the Cold War, and in Rambo Two, Rambo goes back and wins the Vietnam War <laughs> uh, for America. So he was just. He he had a very clear understanding of <laughs> how's your of the how's, American psyche. How's your Dolph Lundgren impression? Good uh, follow up, Helen. Amazing. But Would you we, like to give us a little? Can we please no? get into? Uh, can I we, always can we right now get into yeah. a Dolph Lundgren off? Uh, yeah, I think yours is probably going to be better. You than go mine. first. Okay, I must break you, Helen. If he dies, <laughs> he dies. I mean, you're adding Thank you. something. Thank you. It's actually <laughs> your Dolph Lundgren. 
is better than Dolph Lundgren's right? Dolph Lundgren. I think so. Because you've added so. a Russian element that he didn't have in the, <laughs> in the original performance. <laughs> Thank but you. Every show I learn more about Helen Hong, and I like all of it. Uh, and then finally you said you know a lot about the Wu-Tang Clan solo albums from 1993 to 1997. Yeah, um... So this was the Avengers before the Avengers. This was... Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, so Wu-Tang Clan released uh, one of the great albums of all time in 1993, I think, uh, Enter the 36 Chambers, and then they proceeded for the next four years to have the different members release solo projects that were all, you know, of the same genre. They were produced by the same guy, mm -hmm. the RZA, and they all just... I think this is like the first good music that I was actually into that I can go back to and listen to today, and it still holds up. And which of yours? Uh, sorry, which of those projects is your favorite? If you had probably uh, Raekwon, uh, Raekwon the Chef, uh, strictly for Cuban links, uh, ellipses. It ends with an ellipses for some reason. So to summarize, Jack, you said you know a lot about the movie Jaws 2, the movie Rocky 4, and the Wu Tang Clan solo albums from 1993 to 1997. Today we're going to quiz you about. Jaws 2. All right. The audience Sweet. appreciates that. Now, now, I should point out that originally when I asked for your topics, you did say Jaws and not Jaws 2, but we've already done Jaws on our show before, right. uh, episode 15 with Paul F. Tompkins, and we had the, the great Carl Gottlieb came as our expert, so we, so we, we did disqualify that. Uh, but also you actually, wrote or co-wrote Jaws 2. Exactly. So, uh, but, you, uh, uh, but you actually legitimately liked Jaws 2. You didn't just say that because it was the next thing on the list. Yes. Uh, when was the last time you saw Jaws 2, you think? Uh... I watched it in the past week. Oh, really? You came yeah. prepared. All right. Yeah. Wait, I think you should do pretty it, well on this. Has it, was it as critically acclaimed as the first one? <laughs> um, I don't know who our expert is, so I'm not going to say uh, one way or another. I don't think it was, though. But um, it's not like Jaws 3 was, you know, Jaws 3 was the, wasn't that right, the 3D one? A, like, that was garbage. Yeah, that was, well, so that's where Jaws attacks SeaWorld. Um, but he attacks SeaWorld when one, so... The whole Jaws franchise is the story of sharks coming after the Brody family because it's Sheriff Brody in one and two. And two has this weird subplot where he thinks there's a shark, but everyone else is like, you're crazy that there's no way that a second shark, like this is clearly just your PTSD acting up. And that is the right answer, right? That it, like, it, it's so unlikely that two sharks would attack <laughs> the same beach at the same time, but because... Uh, because it's of the necessity of you know making a sequel to Jaws with the same amazing yeah uh, it would be cast. hard to make a sequel with where like oh no you there wasn't a shark right well but he gets fired for you know telling everybody there's a shark all right it's well just Ahab well just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery in the subject with an expert level question worth up to three points before that to give you a chance to show off here are five trivia questions about the topic each worth one point if you want it you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions uh, Jenna do listen closely because you can steal if Jack gets any wrong Jenna by the way how much do you know about Jaws 2? <laughs> Zero. Zero Nothing Nothing Alright well let's see uh, let's see if Jack gives you the chance to prove that uh, Question number one Jack only three main characters from Jaws returned for Jaws 2. The police chief, his wife, and the mayor. Name one of the actors who played these roles. Oh, um, Roy Scheider. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Roy Scheider, of course, was uh, the police Play. chief. Yeah, uh, chief. Lorraine Gary was the wife, and uh, Murray Hamilton was the mayor. Uh, fun fact, Roy Scheider didn't want to do the sequel, but Universal let him count it as two pictures in his three-picture deal, so he said yes. <laughs> 
Question number two. The trailer and poster for Jaws 2 has one of the most memorable and parodied taglines of all time. Just when you thought it was safe to what? Go back in the water. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Yeah. Uh, When the film was re-released in 1980, it used the tagline, One good bite deserves another. Uh, Oh, that's lame. Well, you know, it was the 80s. Uh, (laughs) You're two for two, Jack. Here's question number three. Chief Brody prepares to shoot the shark by customizing some bullets, filling the tips of them with what deadly substance? Cyanide. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Sodium cyanide. You're three for three. The audience is coming around. Yeah. Question number four. Many of the shark attacks occur while people are innocently enjoying some water-based activities. Aside from swimming, name two of these activities that were interrupted by the shark. Water skiing and uh, making out on a sailboat. Uh, Sailing, I guess, would be. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) The other was scuba Scuba diving. diving, Yes, and we also would have accepted being rescued by a helicopter. (laughs) I would have accepted accepted making out on a sailboat. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that really is my favorite waterborne activity. that's when it actually happens. That is true. Very good. Uh, Fun fact, the phrase, jump to the shark, comes from an episode of Happy Days where Fonzie... Water skied, jumping over a shark. Right. Question number five. You're four for four. Wait, is that true? It is true, yeah. Helen, yes. He literally jumped, he literally over, jumped a shark? over a shark on water skis. Wow. And uh, that's where that wow. phrase comes from. Some people feel that's uh, where Happy Days went off the rails or jumped to the shark, as, he, as it were. And wow. that's where that phrase comes from. See, some of my fun facts are fun. That was fun. Jack, you're four for four. You have a chance to go five for five with this question. An early scene shows a grand opening ball for a new hotel in the town of Amity. What chain hotel was it? Oh, uh, Holiday Inn. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Jack O'Brien is five for five, ladies and gentlemen. You didn't didn't even need a hint. Yeah. Uh, The uh, fun fact, that scene was actually (laughs) shot at an actual Holiday Inn in Florida, which was then destroyed in a hurricane in 2004. Oh, no. Yeah. Such a pretty Holiday Inn. It really was. It was was one of the Holodomes. Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Jack, you've obviously done very well in that round, but here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Thank you. We bring on an expert to assess your response. Jack. Jaws 2 had a complicated journey from script to screen with multiple screenwriters and directors involved at different times. For up to three points, who was the original director who was fired from the project after about a month of shooting? Who was the director who replaced him? And who was brought in to rewrite the script after that new director took over? I'm going to guess Gottlieb was brought in to do the rewrite. Okay. Um, And I can't think of the... The guy's name is um, the director's name is I can't I can't remember. It's All right. Like, uh, and who was who was the original director who was fired? I mean, I'm going to say Steven Spielberg, but I don't think that's right. All right, that will be your Del Close answer <laughs> right, for this exactly. round. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, so, and any guesses to the actual director? I keep wanting to say Jean Tabak because it has some of those letters in it. Like, I think it has a Z, <laughs> but that's actually the name of a basketball player from the early 2000s. Do you want to say that, though? You might get yeah, lucky. Yeah, let's call right, we'll go Jean Tabak. Tabak. There we go. All right, uh, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is an actor, an Emmy Award-winning writer, whose credits include The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, Caveman, The Jerk, Jaws, and Jaws 2. It's Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb. Our returning champion. Wow. 
<laughs> and a member of the committee in original um, improv oh, group. Cool. And yes, that's right. You, could have, you actually could have been our expert in the last round. Actually, let's talk about that first. Uh, tell us about when you were in the committee, what that was like, and uh, how you got into doing improv. My friend Larry Hankin was an original member who opened uh, the committee in the spring of 63. Uh, we were roommates in Greenwich Village and did comedy there. Then I went into the army and I got drafted and he went into uh, the Compass Theater in St. Louis and then from there went to Second City in Chicago where he was fired because Viola Spolin told her son, Paul Sills, the director, we got two tall funny guys with big noses Pick one. <laughs> so she picked Dick Libertini, and uh, Larry Hankin got picked up to go to the committee. So I went to visit him while I was on leave. I had gotten a five-day furlough after being a finalist in the All-Army Entertainment Contest. Wow. That's another story. Uh, uh, but I went to visit him, and they needed a stage manager, so I started as a stage manager. And uh, it was the, you know, the most fun I've ever had in my life. It was nightly. You know, we, we had a 350-seat theater. We did six nights a week, two shows a night, wow. three on Saturday. And, uh, and then we came to L.A. in 68, and we were at the Tiffany Theater and played there. And that's where I got hired to do the Smothers Brothers and Glenn Campbell. And that was my beginning of my television career. And I stayed in comedy variety. That's where my Emmy is from. And I, I worked uh, with Lauren Michaels on a Flip Wilson special with Lily Tomlin okay. and Richard Pryor. And, Peter Sellers. How's that for a lineup of wow, guests? Wow, not bad, not bad. After all that comedy, they were like, who can we get to write this shark movie? <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, they started the shark movie uh, with, without me. So what was going wrong with the, with the direction that, like, it, it sounded like a poop show? Yeah, it was uh, Hancock. Uh, his wife was a, fancied herself a writer, and the two of them you know, had a vision of what the sequel should be. And it was you know, stupider and darker and <laughs> not at all sequel-like. Well, so, why didn't they ask you to write it? You, did, you, are, you obviously knew the characters and it done I, so well I, with I, the I'd done, I'd, done, I'd done the exact same thing on the first one. I was hired on the original Jaws three weeks before principal photography. Mm. And I, went, I was already hired as an actor. So I, I knew I was going to be on, you know, on the vineyard, but Spielberg and I shared a house and basically rewrote the script as we went. And and on Jaws 3D, there was a hiatus built into the schedule. They're going to shoot in Martha's Vineyard for a couple three weeks. That's when Hancock screwed up, and then they said there was a hiatus built for one week to take the shark and the mechanics and truck them down to Florida to the, the Holiday Inn at. Fort Walton Beach, and uh, then when they fired the director, they decided to extend the hiatus for two weeks while they got a replacement writer and a replacement director, and I had a handle on how to, you know, keep a lot of young people in jeopardy, because that, <laughs> that, that was the key to that, yeah. young people in jeopardy. Was there ever an idea to make it a comedy, because they're funny, or comedic, where, did you bring that in? Yeah, I, I, I my... Besides, you know, writing the fish, which is th that kind of writing, that's mostly, you know, there's no dialogue. You just write, you know, <laughs> right. the ship, the, 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 the shark approaches from below. You know, right. that's a, <laughs> but then people have to talk, and, right. and I might as well give them something amusing to say or an, at least an attitude that the actor can play. Yeah, that was something that I 
didn't fully remember that I definitely appreciated more watching it again uh, with adult eyes. The, yeah. There's a lot of really funny dialogue in there. And it was the most successful sequel of its time oh, until, really? until Godfather 2, yeah. Wow. Which it's way better than Godfather 2. We can agree on that, right? Um, well, the iron law of sequels uh, <laughs> that you should all know is only the last one loses money. <laughs> as long as they make money, they keep works. making. That's how you get yeah. Police Academy 12. <laughs> so I, I read that you were actually still writing the movie while they were filming. Yes, and both for, on all three of them. Because I, oh, okay. I did Jaws 3D too. The same same thing. They started with oh, oh, the me. one that I believe somebody on this panel called garbage. I called it garbage. Yeah. I'm sorry. You, you know, it's, it's okay. This, by 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 three, the studio figured, okay, we're spending too much money on these things, so we're gonna outsource the production of Jaws 3D uh, to a producer named Alan Landsberg, who was notoriously cheap. He brought it in, you know on a much reduced budget. You could tell it looked so cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because Landsberg was so cheesy, he wouldn't even spring for a retake on the climactic yeah. scene where the shark approaches the control center and crashes through the glass. Could have been so much... The whole movie would have been... Because it's the climax of the film. The shark attacks the nerve center control booth for the if whole... If you haven't seen it, I can recreate it for you with a sock puppet and this glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> as Alan Landsberg... Oh, no! And that's yeah. pretty much Jaws 3. Exactly. And, 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 the, and the shark approach, rather than do a retake, he kept the original take. Oh. And, the, and it's like watching the Goodyear blimp. Here it comes. <laughs> do -de -do, do -de -do. Oh, the mouth is opening. Do -do -de -do. Oh, now it's hitting the glass. Crash. Obviously, Jaws has had a huge impact on our culture. Uh, you actually participated in, uh, in, a, in a festival of, of Jaws fans uh, some time ago. Tell us about that. Tell us about what it's like to... Oh, my to God. There's like a Jaws con? Uh, there was a Jaws Fest Jaws on Martha's Fest. Vineyard, and they screened the movie outdoors in Oak Bluffs. Do people dress up as Jaws? Oh, yeah. Well, they dress up <laughs> as Jaws. They dress up as victims. Uh, people take it uh, very seriously. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> I want to go, like, holding yeah. a leg. Yeah. There's a shark. <laughs> I, I went to a shark con mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, I think it was Orlando, Florida, Daytona Beach, Florida. They had a shark con, and it was, you know, all, all about sharks, and they had... Dreyfus is there, and big shark jaws that you could pose in, like in the movie poster. And what do you make of the, the impact that it's had and, and people who, who do these kinds of things? Who the hell knew? I mean, it was a job. <laughs> it was a summer popcorn movie. It was a best-selling novel. And Peter Benchley spent the last 20 years of his life, and we, we stayed friends for years. He wrote the foreword to the Jaws log, which is the, movie, the book I wrote about the making of the movie. Um, uh, Peter spent the last 20 years of his life atoning for the image of the shark. He joined, you know, the, the Nature Conservancy, you know, uh, oceans, uh, the Oceans Alliance. He just tried as hard as he could to rehabilitate the image of the shark. You know, they're not, they're an apex predator, but they're not bad guys. You know, they just, you know, bite. But I hear they target a specific family and keep coming back for them. <laughs> That's right. ja well, Jaws, Jaws 4. Yeah. The example oh, of the only the, last, oh, yeah. Yeah. the only the last one loses money. Jaws, <laughs> Jaws 4, the premise was that the shark followed the Brody family from New England 
to the Caribbean. Mm. <laughs> it, eats, it eats one of the sons the in Midwest. New England at the beginning of the movie. They decide to go down to the Caribbean, and the shark shows up. Stop. Yeah. yeah. Just has the, an innate sense. That's why the it was shark, called... The shark, like, Googled where they live. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jaws the Revenge. Yeah. No, I, sh I, should, I should tell everybody here, and this, is, this may be still true when, when the sh program airs, uh, I wrote a book about the making of Jaws called The Jaws Log. Mm -hmm. It's still in print. It's the best-selling book about the making of a movie ever. Any movie. Yeah. No big deal. And Brush your shoulder, Carl. Yeah, and this spring, I mean now, uh, I'm going in June to New York to attend the cast reading and performance of the, for the first backers audition of a movie, of a Broadway musical based on the Jaws log. No! Wow. wow. A Broadway musical. Somebody singing Spielberg and somebody singing me. I mean, you know, there's a character named Carl Gottlieb in the screen, in the, in the play. Amazing. That is so great. Well, last time you were here, uh, which is just about a year ago, you, you said that you were working on a musical of your own. It was yes. about some vaudeville performers. How, how's that coming along? That's, uh, that's coming along. I, I figure if, if uh, the Jaws Log musical is called Bruce, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if the Bruce does well, then I'll, I'll be able to go to uh, backers in New York and rich producers and say, hey, got one in my trunk. Yes, always good to have one ready to go. I want to be a backup dancer as a shark, like uh, in yeah. a shark costume. <laughs> yeah. I want to be a tooth. Well, here, here, you know, I'll, I'll do for you my impression. This is, this is something you can physically do for your friends. It's great for, for uh, charades, too. Okay. My impression of the shark. Carl. Carl has for, wrapped his arms around his torso. Yeah. And is uh, chewing his is chewing elbows up and down as if they are the jaws of he's, jaws. He's, he's using jaws. his elbows as the pointy nose of the shark. Guys, this yeah. is why you have to come to the live shows. Exactly. Your listeners just cannot fully appreciate this. Carl, it's wonderful to have you here. I could talk to you all night about your career, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard, heard the question that we asked of Jack. First, we want to know who was that original director uh, that got fired from Jaws 2. Helen, what did Jack say? Jack said Steven Spielberg. And we know now, Carl, that... John Hancock. It was John Hancock. All right, no point there. Next, we wanted to know who was the director who took over for John Hancock. Uh, what did Jack say, Helen? Jack said Jean Tabak. <laughs> and Carl Gottlieb? Geno Sork. So close, so close. Finally, we wanted to know who was the writer who was brought in to rewrite the script after that new director took over. Helen, what did Jack say? Jack said Carl Gottlieb. And Carl Gottlieb? That was me. It was you. <laughs> Carl, if people want to find you or find more about your work, where can they go? What can they do? Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, there's also a page, there's a Carl Gottlieb page, and then there's a page called The Quintessential Carl Gottlieb. Uh, they're both pretty much the same stuff. I, if, if I'm lazy, I, I write an entry for one, and then I post it on the other, <laughs> and I, I, I've covered all the bases. Carl, it was wonderful to have you back. We appreciate it very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Gottlieb. <laughs> Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? At the end of that round, Jenna Friedman has four points, and Jack O'Brien has eight points. All right, now it is time for a final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Jenna and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Jenna, corn is grown in Iowa. True. Correct. Jack, corn is high in carbohydrates. True. Correct. Jenna, corn is high in fat. False. Correct. Jack, the corn plant is a type of grass. True. Correct. Jenna, there is almost always an odd number of rows of kernels on a corn cob. True. Incorrect. No, I'm sorry. Jack, there is almost always an even number of rows of kernels on a corn cob. True. 
Correct. That is true. I was surprised to learn that. Jenna, the most widely grown type of corn in the U.S. is sweet corn. False. Correct. Jack, the most widely grown type of corn in the U.S. is popcorn. <laughs> False. Correct. That's right. Actually, it's called dent corn, and it's most commonly used for livestock feed. Jenna, corn is the most traded commodity in the world. Ooh. Um, false. Correct. That's right, it's crude oil. Jack, corn is produced on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, true. Correct. And finally, Jenna, this is why you never see penguins eating corn. What's your question? <laughs> That's right, it doesn't count, it doesn't matter. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Jack O'Brien and Jenna Friedman, as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's episode of Go Fact Yourself? I am at the end of the game. Jenna Friedman has eight points, and Jack O'Brien has 13 points. Congratulations, Jack O'Brien. You were the facting champion. Jack, what will you do with your championship? What will I do with it? Yes. Go home and uh, tell my extremely unimpressed wife about it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. That's a wonderful way to use your championship. <laughs> uh, that just leaves us to promote anything that our guests want to promote with our plug section. Jenna, where can people find you? What do you want people to know about your work? I think people should donate to, like, a shark preservation society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. You, you should donate. Me? <laughs> <laughs> the, the proceeds from the win today. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good all, idea. All yeah. the money. I dedicate this, this win <laughs> to uh, the great white shark. That's very noble of you. Uh, Jenna, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter. More specifically? <laughs> it's, it's my name, Jenna with one N, and then Friedman, Jenna Friedman. Like, fried man. And that's on... That's on Twitter. If there's another Ebola outbreak, you know, I'll be tweeting about it. I'll be telling you, <laughs> Johnson and Johnson gets supplies, places, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. The funny, the informative, <laughs> Jenna Friedman. Jack O'Brien, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Uh, I will also be live tweeting the next Ebola outbreak. Um, you can listen to me week daily on the Daily Zeitgeist, uh, which is a comedic news podcast. It is, and we're certainly happy you joined us on our podcast, Jack O'Brien. Ladies and gentlemen, you lucky, lucky people have Ms. Helen Hong as your hosting partner, as my hosting partner, but as your host. Helen, what do you have going on? You can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com and follow me on all the socials at Funny Helen Hong. She is funny. She is Helen. She is Hong. She is funny, Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Jenna Friedman, Jack O'Brien, Phyllis Katz, Tracy Newman, Carl Gottlieb, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod and read and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Jake Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Kitty Flynn did. He, she, or they said, yes, please. I've been a fan since episode one. Such a great listen. Thanks, Kitty Flynn. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Jerome Vered, Dr. Linnea Newman, Leora Saul, Clint Tauscher, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go be nice to sharks. Hey, everybody, it's Jay Keith. On the next episode of Go Fact Yourself, we're in Chicago. He is.
is an Emmy and Peabody winning journalist, producer, and narrator whose 50 plus year career includes the movie Anchorman and being the judge and scorekeeper on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's Bill Curtis! Bill Curtis! Did you notice a difference in how people approached you uh, after Anchorman came out? Because you weren't on camera for that, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was all it was all audio. It's uh, something of a ritual that all the TV stations in San Diego will call. They just want me to come out, sit there in an interview situation, and then say, you stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> She is an Emmy and Peabody Award-winning radio host, TV personality, and writer who can be heard coast-to-coast every weeknight as the host of Spain and Company on ESPN Radio. It's Sarah Spain! Sarah Spain! Now, of course, you talk about sports. You also have played sports. Uh, what was that transition like going from playing to professionally talking about what it? What did you play? I did field hockey, basketball, and track at good old Lake Forest High School. Yes. And then, um, yeah, and then all of a sudden you're just a washed-up athlete, which is a tough transition. <laughs> but then you talk to other people about how still they're very good at it. And that's not hard at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's all in the next episode of Go Fact Yourself, every first and third Friday here at Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.